and, and finish what we talked about last week. Uh, we're talking, we are speaking on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We started this last week. And uh, we said the number seven was a very, very biblical number. And we said the seven represented what? Spiritual completeness, spiritual perfection. And we talked about the many examples in Scripture of seven. We talked about the creation in seven days. We talked about the seven spirits of God. We talked about... Uh, we talked about uh, seven years of famine and seven years of, of plenty. We talked about, uh, uh, what else did we talk about? We talked about the tribulation. We talked about judgment. We talked about creation. We talked about the seven churches. Seventy weeks is a multiple of that. Uh, what we're going to read here this morning as I finish up. Uh, remember when the first saying of Jesus on the cross uh, what we had the uh, we had the primary significance and then we had the seven sayings and then we had the verses here as we started this and we said the first what was the first saying on the cross father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We talked about the significance of that, of course, is forgiveness. And we talked about the primary component of forgiveness, of course, was mercy. We said if you don't forgive those who trespasses against you, then how can you be forgiven your trespasses? We talked about what that meant and what it did not mean. And uh, to go along with this number seven, remember Peter in Matthew chapter 18 said, How many times should I forgive my brother up to seven times? Spiritual completeness. And Jesus said what? Up to 70 times seven. That doesn't mean you take a finger count and say, That's 490 times. I'm done with you. That's a picture of continual forgiveness and the picture of the parable of the unforgiving servant. One, one, one master had a servant and he, and the servant owed him an incalculable amount of money. And that, and he was unable to pay it, and that master said, pay me what you owe me, I'm gonna put you in the, in the debt prison, and he, he fell on his feet, and he said, have mercy upon me, cause I can't repay his debt, and that master, whom was owed an incalculable, in an un, unforgivable amount of money had mercy on that guy and forgave him, right? And then that guy who was forgiven much, he was owed a buck fifty, metaphorically speaking, in in uh, in uh, in comparison to what he owed the previous master. He took the guy he was rough with him, he threw him into prison. He didn't forgive him the buck fifty. And then the original master who was owed an insurmountable amount of money. He said, you wicked servant, I, I forgave you all that debt, and you wouldn't forgive the guy buck fifty. And what did he do? He said, depart from me, and then uh, he suffered eternal consequence. So that's the great picture of the parable. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Secondly, what did we say the second of the sayings was? Today, 
and I'm going to abbreviate this, you will be with me in paradise. Of course, speaking to the thief on the cross, the one who who acknowledged he was a sinner, who acknowledged he couldn't save himself, who trusted in Christ and knew that Christ was going to enter into paradise. We talked about what paradise means. We talked about that in great detail. And uh, so I don't want to really go into that again, but we talked about many principles that we're not saved by baptism, we're not saved by any works that we have done. We do not contribute to our salvation in any degree as we are taught by this thief on the cross. Uh, as we, and so, But Jesus forgave him, and we know to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and then we know there's going to be a time uh, when we rejoin with our bodies, and we call that the resurrection. And so that obviously was a picture of salvation. Thirdly, what was the third thing we spoke about? Behold your son. And to John the Apostle, behold your mother. Jesus taught us uh, the importance of the of honor in your father and mother, that your days would be uh, uh, long upon the earth. This is a principle of uh, that, that hangs the law and the prophets of loving God and loving our neighbor. And uh, we talked about the fact that this truth is in the middle. It's a belt that girds the two uh, from loving God to loving our neighbor. We talked about that in great detail. I was reminded of this uh, great truth. And we had this under the category of love and compassion. I was reminded of the great truth of Proverbs. Uh, turn to Proverbs 23:22. I know many of you are going through this right now, and you have been through this before, and your parents have gone to glory. But 2322 Proverbs, uh, this is a great principle that Jesus fulfilled completely. He dotted the I and crossed the T in Scripture. Proverbs 2322, we see this... Uh, it says, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. So I know that, uh, I know a lot of you are going through that now, have been through it, and I was reminded of that Friday, uh, as I took my mother for her care appointment, and uh, she's going through the dementia, and we love our moms and our dads until the day they go to glory. So we honor them. It is, it is costly. It is time-consuming. There is much patience needed. But Christ displayed this great compassion for His mother. And she, He told John, the apostle, to take care of her. And He took her from that moment. Yes, Mr. Rusty. Even if they're not going to glory. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. We love them and we honor them. Sometimes that's a mixed bag, as you know, and as many of you know in this room. Uh, so we love our family well. We show them the love of Christ to the last breath they take, right? Good comment. Behold your son, behold your mother. Now, as we pro- progress to today, the fourth saying on the cross is, the fourth saying on the cross is, My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? 
We find that predominantly in Psalm 22, verse 1. So let's look at 22.1 from the psalm we've been looking. We said that Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, amongst other psalms, are messianic psalms that primarily point to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we also said that there may be a part of a psalm that's messianic and part of one that isn't i.e. 69 where he talks about his sins. It's partly messianic and partly it isn't. But we see Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is primarily, the significance about this is atonement. And it is propitiation. Propitiation. Now, When Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see from your notes, it describes in great detail the rage of God as He unleashes His anger on His only begotten Son for the sins of His people. And so we see this picture of forsakenness, an abandonment, and justice satisfied. Does everybody understand the great theological comments that Jesus said? You can take apart every word here and preach a sermon on it. My God, my God. The significance of the, of the Godhead. And when Jesus is on earth here as a man, it was, he was respecting and submitting to the authority of his heavenly Father. Why have you forsaken me, the perfect sinless Son of God. You have poured out your wrath on me. I have never sinned, but you're pouring out your wrath on me because you're a holy, perfect, just God. And Jesus is the propitiation. You know what the word propitiation means? What does the propitiation mean? And let's look at some scripture. Propitiation means to absorb wrath. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath against us. The ransom paid to Him, the blood of His innocent, perfect Son, as a substitute and as a representative for fallen men and their sins. Jesus, in His perfect righteousness, absorbed the wrath due the world and the sins of the world. He absorbed that wrath so that justice is satisfied, so that God can forgive, and that men can be reconciled to Him. And so that great chasm that separates us from the heavenly, from the Godhead, that bridge is now uh, connected, uh, and we can be reconciled to the Father because the Son absorbed the wrath. Is what that means. Verses. There's not a lot of verses on this, but look at Romans 3.25. Look at 1 John 2.2 and 4.10. And then look, let's look at Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 2.17. 
When Jesus cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? He was providing atonement. Remember we talked about this through, uh, it's been a while now, but atonement in the New Testament is covering. Remember the types, the types, the sacrifices, the sacrifice of the bulls and the pigeons and the doves, depending on one's economic uh, abilities in that day. That was a temporary covering of the sins of the people that allowed men to worship God. Their sins were temporarily covered, and they were covered. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no covering for sin. And uh, we talked about uh, atonement must be made for sin. So in the Old Testament, these are all types that look forward to the future coming of Christ when he actually absorbed wrath once and for all for the sins of his people. So all these were types, and that was a covering. When when Christ absorbed our wrath, not only did he cover it, which the Old Testament uh, speaks of, but he literally takes it away. So now our sins are literally blotted out as if they never existed. And they are removed as far as the east is from the west. And they are remembered against us no more. And so as Christ absorbed the wrath of His Father, as He propitiated our sins as He made an atonement for our sins, as He satisfied the just requirements of God. He takes it away forever, not just cover it. He blots it out and He removes it and it's remembered against... Now we are reconciled to God. And then then the Father says, Righteous. The Holy Sovereign Judge of the earth says, Righteous. That doesn't mean just not guilty. It means righteous. So we are now justified... By the work of Christ, and the judge says, righteous. Okay? The defense attorney takes a stand for us. He absorbs the wrath for us. And then the Holy Father says, righteous. Okay? And so we are, in his mind, positioned in Christ as righteous as our holy Messiah, the one who died for us. Romans 3.25, who's got that? Romans 3.25, read freely. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. Public demonstration, He passes over. So just as the Passover was a type that, that looked forward to the coming day, when Christ would be the Passover lamb, the sinless, blameless son of God that would die for the sins of his people. So Romans says he made a public demonstration as he passed over and he appeased uh, Christ, appeased the wrath, do us, took the condemnation, do us, so that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? called according to his purposes. So we see that. First John two two four ten. Somebody read these two verses. Or one apiece, however you want to do it. He himself is our propitiation. Then four ten, Gary, while you're there. And the propitiation is a demonstration 
of love. He loved us while we were dead in our trespass. He loved us while we were still sinners. His love moved him to send his son to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, so he himself, Jesus, he's the only one that could have because he's sinless. He's the only one that could have satisfied the justice, the holiness of God because he himself was without blemish. So we see God was Christ. God is man, fully God and fully man, absorbed the wrath of the Father against us, and he took it away. That's what that meant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? An amazing truth. Let me look at Isaiah 53 to encourage you. Do you see how the things of earth grow strangely dim when you think about Christ? And as all of you prayed, this is why we can have peace and confidence and hope. 53, 10 through 12. It pleased Yahweh to crush Jesus. Yahweh put Jesus to grief, if you'll let me put in the word. When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. We call that expiated. He's expiated. He's uh, he's satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is a fulfillment of the very first prophecy that was spoken to Adam and Eve. And what is that prophecy without looking? Talking to the devil and part of his curse, right? Bruising he, the devil is going to bruise the heel of Christ at the cross, but Jesus will crush his head and will defeat Satan, defeat his arch enemy, defeat death, and save a people that he came to save. Everybody understand the significance of that? These seven sayings summarize the Bible from A to Z. And we see in the Revelation the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see in heaven opened up and we see us praising Him and worshiping Him who saved us by His blood. We see the saints who have been martyred. We see the saints who have gone through various trials worshiping God. And we, we see the saints praising the Lord as Christ crushes his enemies and brings the judgment due them because they would not turn to him and repent. So we see that all in these seven sayings. Comments or questions about point five, four? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Quote it, brother. Very pivotal verse of Scripture. He made Him who knew no sin, right, to become sin for us that we may be made righteous, right? Second Corinthians 5.21. Thank you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ver- number five is I thirst. The significance of this is that the atonement, 
the justification, the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the salvation, the love is accomplished by suffering. And the significance of this this phrase, I thirst, is of course it's prophetic, it fulfills prophecy, but the, the significance of it is that, it, that, that it, it, Christ had to suffer, but the significance also is that He is fully God, and He is fully man. So as a man, He suffered, and He understands suffering more than any other man. So we can petition Him, we can call upon Him. The, the verse that Gene prayed, we can comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. We can comfort others because we've been reconciled to Him and we have been comforted in our own self, particularly that we are no longer under condemnation to our sins. So when He said, I thirst, He is showing us the suffering necessary the the dehydration, we talked about the flogging and the scourging, and a lot of men died because of that. But this physical suffering took place as he was fully God and he's fully man. And as fully God and fully man, he is a mediator between God and men. And so he had to be God and he had to be man to mediate between God and men. And so as he suffered on the cross, demonstrating Fully God, fully man, he mediates and he suffers, he says, I thirst. Remember, there were, there were two different offerings of the wine. Remember, the first offering of the wine uh, was what and what did he do? The first offering was a number, a numbing agent, a number. How do you spell number? How do you spell number? Huh? Num- number. How do you spell number? Is that even a word? It was a number. That's. It was myrrh. It was myrrh. And it was a numbing agent. It was ibuprofen on steroids. And it was designed to take away the pain. And Jesus did what to that? He refused it. Because He wanted to suffer all of the cross. As our high priest. And as our Savior. The second was offered. He accepted it. The second was offered. And that was not mercy. Remember we talked about that? But that was like a smelling salt. And that was designed to prolong suffering. And so Jesus refused the numbing agent, but He accepted the the design of that wine to prolong His suffering. So He accepted it all. He didn't shirk from any of it. He completely suffered on the cross for us. Amazing. As he thirsted, he cried out in his suffering, in his humiliation for the sins of his people. He said he thirsted. And that is, of course, a fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, primarily, 69, 21 of Psalm. 
69.21, we see that as he talks about his suffering on the cross. It said, They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So we see this prophecy fulfilled that is mentioned in in the book of John, chapter 19, verse 28. We see that in John. We see this fulfillment. We see the Son of God, the Son of Man, suffering for the sins of His people. See if I left out anything. And so this teaches us, this teaches us Everything he does teaches. It teaches us that there is profit in pain. And as we do First Peter next time, that's our next book, we understand from First Peter which one of the principles of First Peter and themes is suffering, that Jesus suffered the fire and tribulation for us to teach us the purpose of pain, the... The, that, that, that there's a limited time to it and it's going to point to something and there's profit in it we're being taught by. It. So it teaches us the profit and pain and it teaches us, uh, let's look at Hebrews 4.15, one of the great verses. Hebrews 4.15, this is why we can pray because we have this high priest who's been tempted in all points like we are, yet he's without sin. He understands 14 and 15, Hebrews 4, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of our need. So Christ did that as he thirsted on the cross for us. Comments, questions? I'll let that ride. Number six. Number six. We find this in John chapter 19, verse 30. As he died on that cross, he mentioned this one Greek word. And the one Greek word, one of the most important words in all of Scripture, I would argue that it may be the most important word of all of Scripture. He said, to telestai. And that word means it is finished. It's from the Greek word teleho. And it means what? From the notes. It means... Jesus completed the task He was given to do. He completely finished the work. And that word also means paid in full. It's an accounting term that designates what Christ did. He's paid the debt completely. Nothing more can be added or taken away. His crucifixion is sufficient for all these things we've talked about, right? Nothing can be added. So we don't add works. We can't add our little good stuff to this. Our little filthy rags don't contribute one iota to our salvation. They are evidence that we're saved, but they do not contribute one iota. That was easier said than done. One iota to our salvation. 
Just as that thief hung on that cross, no righteous works, nothing prepared him to be saved except Christ's call on his life. And so when Jesus cried, to tell us die, it is finished, paid in full, work complete, God fully satisfied, wrath absorbed, great substitutionary and representative work was perfectly and forever accomplished. Forever accomplished. Chew on that a while. We will use the Old Testament Hebrew Selah, which you see in the Psalms. Completely forever accomplished. We are forever and eternally secure. The significance of that is victory. It is finished. I have defeated Satan. I have defeated sin. I have saved my people. Remember what the angel said to in Matthew one twenty one, thou shalt call his name Jesus, Yahshua saves from Joshua in the Old Testament, thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall what? He shall save his people from their sins. And when he cried out it is finished, he saved his people from their sins. Every sheep will be saved, no sheep will be lost. Everyone that he came to save will be saved. Wow, it is finished. Nothing can change it. It is irrevocable. The callings of God are irrevocable. We'll get to that in Romans 11 one day. It is finished to tell us die, forever accomplished. Any comments about that wonderful, 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 wonderful saying? Yes. And so, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He finished this work on the cross, we trust Him. It's not an accident. It's all in His hands. And there is a victory. And one day the final victory will be accomplished, and that is death will be defeated. Grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting, right? This has already been defeated. It just simply has to be accomplished. It's already been accomplished. It just simply has to take place. Yes, sir. (coughs) This began ours. As we like to do, we've got Gene right here with a nice little, just begins ours. And so now we are brought into the family. We're adopted into the family. All the old, all the old relationships are gone. We're now, the old is passing away is the present tense verb. And everything is becoming new. As Gene said, all the old uh, relationships were no longer of our father, the devil, but we've been brought into life, reconciled to God, adopted to his family, and our life begins, right? And it will be finished never, and it will always exist. We will always exist with him in glory. Beautiful. Lastly, last thing he says, 
he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Simply assurance and simply security. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. No man took it from him. We see that fulfilled in the scripture. John ten eighteen. Look back. Remember this. His great I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Verse 17. Look at this. John 10, 17. We'll go John 10, 7, 10, 18. John 10, 17 and 18. As he prophesied, as he fulfilled scripture, he said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have the power and the authority to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. So Jesus voluntarily, at His moment, in His time, in His history, voluntarily gives up the Spirit and voluntarily lays himself on the altar of sacrifice, and he gives his life a ransom for many. He commends his hands into God. To us, I want you to, to see this beautiful text. Uh, we don't see this. Uh, look at Psalm 22. We understand the Psalms and his death and his crucifixion and and the, ex, and the excellence of that. But let's read further. Some commentators I've read said he quoted this whole psalm on the cross. Look at this. You talk about, I commit my, I commit my spirit to you. Look at 22, verse 21, this great transitional verse. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox. Picture of, of wickedness and sinful men. And then you see a break. Matter of fact, my Bible has a break. And then he says, you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brothers. A surety of election in the midst of the assembling. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Fear him for he's not despised despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor is he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out, he heard. And then look at verse 28. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the nations. All the prospects of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust who die shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him, and it will be recounted to the Lord, to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. That's us. And so we fulfill prophecy by standing up here and saying, He has declared His name to His brethren, and we have heard, and we will be saved, and we declare it to our children, and they will be saved, right? Into your hands I commit my spirit. The picture of this is a security, and we see this confidence, and we see this in the martyrs. Look at Look at uh, uh, Stephen as we close. 
Look at Stephen's death as he was stoned in, uh, in, uh, in Acts 7. As he cried out, remember we use this verse to, he says, forgive them for they don't know what they do and don't let this charge against them. But before that, in verse 59, they stoned Stephen, Acts 7, 59. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Just as his Savior had taught him, he relied and he his assurance that he was Christ and to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. So he said, receive my spirit in full confidence. We see, uh, we see Paul. Look at 2 Timothy. This is his last book he wrote. This is before he dies. Look at this, what he says. The same assurance and the same security because of Christ. Look at 2 Timothy 1. Uh, and I won't read all of this, uh, but look at verse 12. For these reason I suffer these things. This is 2 Timothy 1.12. For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that Day. And so we see that. We see that in Hebrews 9.14. Look at this great text. Hebrews 9.14. We see this. This is a great verse that gives me much comfort. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, listen to this, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. This assurance and confidence that he who committed his spirit and gave up voluntarily gave up his life. We too, and you can read Romans 8.35, I am persuaded that neither death nor life can separate us from the love. You can read that. All of this is accomplished as Jesus breathed his last for our security and for our assurance. And we can see David and we can see Job all say, I know my Redeemer lives and I know one day I'm going to be in His presence because my body is going to be resurrected. Comments or questions? Seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. If we meet next week, we will do John chapter 20, the glorious resurrection, if we meet. Uh, anybody have any comments or questions about this? We can have hope and we don't have to fear because our salvation is accomplished and we will get our resurrected bodies. We can trust Him. Beautiful. Thank you, Father, for what Your Son accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you that he said, Father, forgive them. Thank you that he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Thank you that he said, behold your father, mother, behold your son. Thank you that he cried out, why God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you that he cried out, I thirst. Thank you that he cried out, it is finished. And thank you that he voluntarily gave up his spirit for our eternal security and assurance of salvation. Thank you. And we can have blessed comfort and hope in the difficult days. And help us to give a reason for that hope. And help us to understand that hope is the shelter and is the foundation and is the anchor to which we are kept in the stormy winds of life. Help us to be faithful people. 
Give us opportunities and give us boldness to share truth to a world filled with fear and anxiety. In your name we pray. Amen.